The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Stacking the Box Week 8 Edition. Incredible time flies. I am Matt Verner. I'm alongside Josh Hill, and we have a lot to get to. We're going to change up the format a little bit this week. We're still going to go over every game. We're still going to pick all the games, talk about the spreads, but we're going to start out this episode and every episode going forward with a little bit of a talk of around the league, what we're seeing, some big topics, because frankly, right now, uh, we're getting to a point where the playoff picture is at least starting to materialize a little bit. We're getting an idea of which teams are going to be contenders, which teams should already start looking toward the draft. And so that's kind of the route we're going to take in the beginning. And then we're going to get to every team. We're still going to cover all the teams around the league. And so, Josh, I'll let you take the floor. What did you see from both Thursday and Sunday's action? Well, you know, Thursday's game was one of the weirdest games I've ever seen in my entire life. If just, you know, everybody said that too, but just the, that last sequence of events where it was like four straight plays that the Raiders get a shot at the end zone. And, you know, eventually they were going to get it. At, at some point they were going to score. Uh, I just think that that, I don't think it's a reason to push the panic button for the Chiefs, but it definitely was something that showed me that they're a more flawed team than we thought. And then as far as the Sunday games are concerned, I watched the Bucks game and then I fell asleep because I was just like, I needed to go into a coma after that disaster. But... Yeah, I mean, really, it's it's all about the AFC right now to me. The NFC, so it's, it's getting their footing. I don't, I don't see anything impressive over there yet. It's all in the AFC, and even that's not that impressive. Yeah, look, everybody who listens knows I'm a Chiefs fan. I don't even want to talk about that game on Thursday night. That game was a mixture of shame and anger, and it was also a mixture of feeling uh, a little cheated, frankly. I, look, there's no excuse for the way the Chiefs played in that game. They gave 505 yards of offense. Uh, I will say, I think if the if the officiating was even moderately respectable in that game, the Chiefs would be 6-1 and one right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, there were a couple calls in that game that were just flat comical. But that being said, Kansas City had every opportunity to win that game didn't do it. So the Chiefs ultimately uh, deserve the blame. They, they were up nine points going into the fourth quarter, and you have to win that game. So, uh, you know, I learned that, in the, and this is going to be kind of leading into my topic that I want to talk about here at the top, I learned that the AFC is three teams and everybody else. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but I think now we're starting to see real separation. And we're starting to see that in, in the sense that, look, New England, Pittsburgh, and Kansas City are going to win their divisions. Okay, mm-hmm. Kansas City and Pittsburgh both have significant leads in, in their respective divisions. New England, uh, just a half game ahead of Buffalo and Miami. But those two teams 
would have to pull off a miracle to beat out New England. Those those three, New England, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, they're clearly the class of the AFC. And then after that, then I think you have to talk about, okay, who's going to win the South and who are going to be the two wild cards. I think Houston and Jacksonville are the two best teams in the South. I think Jacksonville's defense is legit. Josh, you talked about that at the beginning of our show, year, you know, feels like years ago, months oh, yeah. ago, that you were going to die on that hill that they were going to be a top five team. Well, or a top five unit. They certainly looked that that way. Mm-hmm. Sacked Indianapolis ten times in the game uh, on Sunday, one twenty-seven to nothing. And then you talk about Jacksonville and Houston. I can see them both getting in. One is a division winner. One is a wild card. And then the sixth seed. I think it might be an eight and eighteen. I don't know that I look at anybody else in the AFC and think that they can get the nine wins when you look at the talent level and the schedule. Oh yeah, I mean, look, the AFC to me is just a complete. Like you said, it's three teams, and then it's everybody else. And I don't, I don't really know how to feel about anything. Because right now, you look at the playoff picture. Miami's playing New England in the first round, and Buffalo and Tennessee rematch of the Music City Miracle. Oh, yeah. Big time. Um, that none, Nothing there. Because, look, New England's going to win, no matter who they play in the first round, because that's just, that's just what's going to happen. And then what? The Bills and the Titans, that winner goes to the divisional round? It's like those years that the Texans would always go on. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's nice that they're getting that far. But really, they're not striking fear. In, in- At least a touchdown in that game. Okay. The, the, the real key here is the one seed means so much in the AFC this year. Because if you are the one seed, mm-hmm. you then are going to play either the four, the five, or the six seed in the divisional round. And the two and the three are going to play each other. So one of those... Big three is going to get knocked off. Oh, yeah. And you're going to be sitting there playing Houston, Jacksonville, a wild card team. And so, uh, you know, you've got to feel like you have an easy path. I mean, you basically almost have a bye to the AFC Championship game, and you're going to have to win one hard game. Now, I will say this. I don't know that we know which of those three teams is the best team of the three. I think they all have flaws. Yeah. I think Pittsburgh's... Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Probably got the best overall team, but they're weird. The Steelers have games. They don't show up. And in the playoffs, obviously, that that's it. That's your whole season. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs, I think, somehow, shockingly, might have the best offense of all three of them, which who would have bet on that before the season began? <laughs> but, and you would have figured, well, the Chiefs have the best defense of the three of them. Yeah. Well, the, the Chiefs' defense right now had good success mm-hmm. early in the year. Now they're terrible. They can't stop anybody. So I don't know... And, of course, New England, their defense, I know they played well against Atlanta, but I felt that was, frankly, more a function of Atlanta just yeah. being inept than it was New England looking great. So those three teams and everybody else, and by the way, yes, that includes Tennessee, who I just I, – I can't buy them. I'm sorry. And I know that kind of leads into what you want to talk about. Uh, I know they won. I know they beat Cleveland. They, they won 12-9 to in a game that didn't have – touchdown and they barely won it in overtime so i i can't include them as being a viable threat in the afc no it, it, it's it's gross in the afc and if you take a look at the thing over on the nfc side of things it's not a whole lot clear there, there seems to be more quality teams beyond that top tier in the nfc because right now the eagles and the vikings are the top seed they're the one two and then you've got the redskins and the rams would be one of the wild card games and the seahawks and the saints whom they've met in the playoffs a couple of different times those are, you know, look at the AFC, the Bills and the Titans, 
that'd be an interesting wild card matchup from like the historical Music City Miracle type of thing, you know, standpoint with the Bills. Maybe they can exercise those demons because that was the last time they were in the playoffs was when, you know, Frank Wycheck and all those boys were, you know, running them out of the building. Yeah. And then the NFC side of things, Redskins, Rams, that's, you know, we saw them play already this year. and It was, it was an all right game, but both those teams are getting better. And the Seahawks and the Saints are both teams that have started weird this year. Like the Seahawks, we don't really know what they are. They went into New York yesterday, and we thought that they were going to blow them out, and it was a closer game than we thought. And then you have the Saints, who kind of got bailed out with Aaron Rodgers being taken out of the game, not being a part of it. They were able to win. Now they're in first place in the NFC South. It seems like there's more quality across the board in the NFC to me. Whereas the AFC, I mean, like you said, we could be living in a world where Blake Bortles is one of the, a quarterback, one of the six best teams in the conference. And I, I, I love the defense. I don't want to live in the world where Blake Bortles is a part of anything to do with that team. Yeah, and to wrap up here on this on this point, uh, you know, the, the, right now in Vegas, the three teams with the best Super Bowl odds: New England, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, mm. in that order, uh, according to the Vegas Insider. So. Look, I think all three of those teams can win the Super Bowl. The, the question is, because I don't think there's a dominant team in either conference. I mean, no. Philadelphia's a very good team. Kansas City's a very good team. Pittsburgh's very good. New England's very good. Uh, you know, but there's no team that you look at and say, well, they, they just couldn't lose. Well, they, they all could lose. And so uh, I think it's going to be interesting. The one thing I will note, uh, Kansas City has a very, very easy schedule going forward. They have already played almost all their tough games. They have Dallas on the road next week. After that, they have a bye. Their last seven games, and, and I will wrap here, I'll lead as follows. At the Giants, home to the, home to the Bills, at the Jets, home to the Raiders, Chargers, Dolphins, at Denver. So Kansas City's got you know, maybe that inside track to schedule. That being said, I think it's really going to come down to who's healthiest. Because if, if, you know, if, if we have a situation where Roethlisberger has one of those, you know, he's out for two to three weeks yeah. and he seems to have every year, they're done. They will lose those games. If they don't have that, I think the Steelers might be the best team in the conference. But we'll move on to the next point. I know you wanted to get to your uh, topic of the week. Yeah, so uh, we've been doing a column on fansided.com about teams that either deserve to be in witness protection or are already in witness protection and have just completely disappeared. Put them on the milk carton. We need to try to find them. And uh, I've got a handful of teams here that we can discuss. I wanted to get your thoughts on some of these. And let's start with, uh, I wanted to start with the Titans. They're on the list. But let's start with Atlanta because it's just it's more fresh in our minds. And both of us feel similarly about how frustrated we were watching Steve Sarkeesian run one of the most uninspired offensive play calling you know, whatever that I've seen in a very long time. Um, the Falcons very much... That offense is in witness protection right now. I don't know what's going on. I mean, I kind of do. It's Kyle Shanahan. Everybody, when he left for San Francisco, it was, oh, you know, the pieces are still in place. They've got Matt Ryan. They've got Julio Jones. They've got a good running game, a dual back, uh, backfield threat. They're going to be fine. Sarkeesian comes in. They have a really bad first week against the Bears, but we chalked it up to maybe it's a Super Bowl hangover. They're playing on natural grass. Weird things have happened at Soldier Field this year with the Steelers and the Panthers both losing there. So maybe it was just that. They rebound all right against the, the Packers, but they're, what, a couple of inches away from losing to the Lions. They lose at home to the Bills. They lose at home to the uh, Dolphins, and now they've lost a third straight game. I don't know what's going on. I mean, I'm not going to jump to conclusions and say Sarkeesian is, you know, needs to go, but something needs to happen because that offense is a lot better on paper than it is on the field. And it's just like... What's going on? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump to that conclusion. He should be fired. And, and he won't be. And, I, and I, you know, I, let me rephrase. 
He he is the reason their offense is as bad as it is. Yeah. I, I I shouldn't say you should be fired because I don't think the answer is firing your offensive coordinator midway through the year. I just don't think you can you can operate that way. But uh, look, they have had one 300 yard game out of Matt Ryan this year. They've had one 100 game out of Devonta Freeman this year. They've had one game where Julio Jones has cracked 100 yards. Now, I, now two other times he has cracked 90, but one one time. Mm-hmm. At what point here do you say, look, we have to give the ball to our stars. We need to get the ball to Julio Jones. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if it's a bubble screen, it's a quick little slant. He's the kind of guy who you just get the ball in his hands and you watch him make some plays. I don't understand what they're doing. That game against New England was comical. Yeah. Comical. They couldn't execute anything in that game. Ryan in time to throw the ball. He missed guys who were open, which obviously that's not on Sarkeesian. Ryan's got to make better throws. And one thing to point out about Matt Ryan, okay, last year he was MVP of the league, and, so, and he deservedly was. He was he was terrific oh, yeah. all through the year last year. Okay, but Matt Ryan's been in the league now for a little while. Matt Ryan is not somebody who all of a sudden, you know, his third year he he caught fire. Matt Ryan, frankly, he's thirty two years old, and if you look at his statistics year over year, okay, yardage wise, he's pretty much good for over four thousand every season. But he, his completion percentage spiked last year at almost 70%. His career at 65%. He had almost 5,000 yards last year, 49-44, okay? That is about the most consistent number in terms – because he's, he's been over 4,500 every year mm-hmm. since 2012. But his yards per attempt for his career is 7.46. And if you look at his numbers, that's about average. It's about where he normally is. That's consistent. Last year, he was at 9.26. That is a huge anomaly. He had only thrown for 30 touchdowns once in his career back in 2012. Last year, he threw for 38. Okay, He also had double-digit pick numbers every year of his career except for 2010 until last year when he threw seven. Well, he's already thrown six this year and he has only seven touchdowns. Okay, He's becoming much more of what he normally is, and his touchdown numbers are brutal. His He'd be lucky to hit 25 this year. Mm-hmm. So I don't... Look, I think the Falcons are really talented. I, I, I don't think that they were a fluke last year. I think they are a really good roster. And I think Dan Quinn can coach defense especially. Yeah. But I, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. Their next four games, three of them are on the road. They're at New York with the, with the Jets this week. They should win. Then they're at Carolina. It's a tough game. They come home. They play Dallas. That's not going to be easy. Then they're on the road on a Monday night in mm-hmm. Seattle. And they have, they have two more games with both Tampa Bay and New Orleans. I think Atlanta might win nine games. And that, in the NFC, that's not good. In the AFC, it might be be a two seed. In the NFC, it's not enough. I just, Sarkeesian, the difference between him and Shanahan is night and day. Oh, yeah. And I'll, I'll wrap up the Falcons' point with this, that and you've seen the stat now a million times probably, but how the Patriots' defense, as bad as it's been, as awful as Matt Patricia's secondary has been, giving up 300-yard passing games to all six quarterbacks. That streak ended with Matt Ryan, who threw for less than 300 yards on Sunday night in an offense which should have been far more prolific than what it was. And you can blame the fog or whatever, the smoke, whatever the heck that was on Sunday night. That wasn't the problem. The problem is Sarkeesian. If there's anything foggy, it's him. It's his eyes looking between like the, the play call sheet and whatever he wants to do. There's something going on there. But let's switch. Uh, another team that I have to talk about here, we'll go on to the next one. Over in the AFC, we, you kind of touched on them, the Titans, who... Uh, coming into the season, the Buccaneers and the Titans were the two teams that everybody thought were going to take the next step. Mariota and Winston went 1-2 in the draft in the same year. Both of those teams are kind of on the same trajectory. The Titans are a little bit better off than the Buccaneers are right now. But 
you know, record-wise, four and three. Yes, they're better than the Bucks, but they went into Cleveland on Sunday and needed overtime to beat the Browns. Now, I, I understand that the the Titans and the Browns over the years it's been tightly contested matches, but that's no excuse. That, yeah, that's no excuse. If you're a playoff team, if you want to win the AFC South, not only that, but want to make noise in the playoffs, you don't go into Cleveland and win twelve to nine in overtime. That is that is just atrocious. You can't let that happen. The offenses looked all right this year. The defense is whatever. Mariota got banged up earlier in the year. My question is about malarkey and how he can weather the storm here. Is he the right guy? And this is a Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick dry padding is Under Armour's fastest drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. Question that we're asking of a, lot, a couple of head coaches who have kind of elevated into the position they are in because they have a relationship with the quarterback, Ben McAdoo in New York with Eli Manning, Dirk Cutter in Tampa Bay with Jameis Winston, and Malarkey, who, you know, good play calling back in the day, his relationship with Mariota. I remember a lot of people wanted Ken Wisenhunt to come over and try to figure things out, whatever. Malarkey's the guy now. Is he going to be able to do it? And, you know, 12 to 9, not going to get it done. No, it's not. And, you, you know, there was a lot of talk uh, around around the NFL world that Marks Mariota was going to break out this year. Mm -hmm. Well, Marks Mariota, and I know he's played six games, he was out the one game, Matt Castle started at Miami. Mariota's thrown for 1,300 yards with four touchdowns and four picks. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's be real. If he was a third-round pick and he played like that, people would be screaming for him to either improve or get benched. Okay, he, Now, I'm not advocating that he gets benched. I don't, I don't feel that way. But it does have to be said that, look, I mean, he, he's on pace for a pretty bad year. He's on pace to throw for about 2,800 yards, yeah. 900 yards. Four touchdowns and four picks is awful. They went out and they, they put some weapons around him. They signed Eric Decker. They drafted Corey Davis in the first round. Corey Davis right now has seven catches for 73 yards. That's not a game. That's his entire season. Eric Decker has 23 catches for 226 yards and no touchdowns and two plays over 20 yards. Their leading receiver right now is Rashard Matthews. You couldn't pick him out of a lineup. They're, they're not good enough. And that's an incredible statement to make when you consider that, A, they are technically in first place in the AFC South. Mm -hmm. And B, that... They're in the AFC South, and they're not good enough. Now, now, the good news for them is they're on a bye this week. They're going to come back, and they play two games at home against Baltimore and Cincinnati. Okay, you have to win those games. If you're Tennessee and you want to be taken seriously, you've got to win both those games. Because after that, you're on a Thursday night at Pittsburgh. You have a game later in the year in December, uh, a rematch against Houston, which if there's not motivation in that game after giving up 59 points in the mm -hmm. first meeting, not, there's never going to be. Uh, and then the last four games of the year are interesting. Three NFC West opponents, they're at Arizona, who's not going to have Carson Palmer or David Johnson in that game. They're at San Francisco. San Francisco, one of the two winless teams in the league. Then they're home to the Rams and the Jaguars, who both might be fighting for playoff spots. Yeah. So those games could be really interesting. Look, I think ultimately Tennessee might even be that, that wildcard team we were talking about earlier in the year, but I'm very underwhelmed by them. I think the only reason that they might make the playoffs is because their schedule is a joke, not because of the talent. And that really is surprising because, like you said, we thought that they would be a breakout team.
Yeah, you know, you got DeMarco Murray and you got Derrick Henry in the backfield. This was supposed to be a run-heavy team. And we saw in the very first week of the season, and we talked about it, you know, in the stack in the box after, the, the play calling was confusing where you're playing a Raiders team that cannot stop the run and you don't just pound the rock down their throat. It's like, what are you doing? And that, that goes back to the point about Malarkey. Is he the guy to lead this team into the future? And I don't want to say... You know, oh, he's not he's not a big classic head coach name because we've seen guys, you know, look at speaking of Wizen Hunt earlier in the conversation, he took the Cardinals to the Super Bowl and he wasn't necessarily this huge name. You don't have to be a titan in the coaching, you know, stratosphere to lead a team deep into the playoffs, but you have to know how to play you know you have to know what you have at your disposal. And there are times this season, you know, you look at the Houston game, you know, I understand they were they were missing Mariota and the loss to Miami, but those are games where if you are a good head coach and you know what you're doing, you will find a way to win those games. You don't lose 16 to 10 to Miami on the road. That just doesn't happen. So to me, the, the, the Titans, witness protection, at least for this week, until they can figure something out, uh, sticking in the AFC, one of your favorite teams to talk about, the Denver Broncos. Witness protection after putting up a goose egg in uh, st- the StubHub Center, not yeah. not good. <laughs> Listen, uh, I'll this to me is easy. I, I'll be short and sweet with them. Uh, they played half of their home games through their first five games, and that and they also had a bye week, week five. So after week six, they already had their bye. They played half of their home games, and the Broncos might be the biggest uh, splits team in terms of being better at home than they are away from home. This one is is very obvious in my eyes. Look, Kansas City is the best team in that division. The Broncos were three and one at the bye. They had won all three of their home games, lost on the road to Buffalo. They came out of their bye knowing that their following five games were as such: Giants at home, at the Chargers, at the Chiefs, at the Eagles, home to New England. If you were going to survive that, you had to beat the Giants at home, and you really had to take care of business against the Chargers. Now. They lose both those games. They scored three points combined before a garbage touchdown against the Giants. They were shut out by the Chargers. Now they come to Arrowhead. The Chiefs almost have a bye because they played last Thursday. So the Chiefs have 10 days to get ready for this game. Denver's got to go into Arrowhead. Doesn't look like Emmanuel Sanders is going to be able to play in this game. The Chiefs thoroughly embarrassed the last couple of weeks. If Kansas City doesn't show up and play well in this game, they're never going to. Uh, I think this is a brutal spot for Denver. Then they have a short week into Philly. Right now, the Broncos have a left guard playing right tackle because they have three injured right tackles. Donald Stevenson's hurt, Billy Turner's hurt, and uh, the, the starter, Menelik Watson, also hurt with a calf injury. And then they come home from Philadelphia, which is going to be a, just a savage beating with that offensive line, and they get the pass on Sunday night. So I don't see Denver pulling out of this. I think they're, they're going to be 3-6. and six. I don't think their offense can do anything. Their last two games, coming out of a bye here are the leading rushers and their totals for these games for the Broncos. Against the Giants, Jamal Charles led them with 19 rushing yards. Last week, against the Chargers, C.J. Anderson led them with 44 rushing yards. And something named Tyler Derby led them in, or excuse me, A.J. Derby rather, led them in receiving yards against the Chargers with 66. I, I think the Broncos are done. I, I think the Broncos played well early in the year, and then teams figured out, hey, look, if we just take away the short routes, it's assuming it's over. And here we are. Yeah, and I mean, look, they need a quarterback. That's absolutely what they need. And everybody was waxing poetic about Trevor Simeon earlier in the year, how, oh, maybe he's figured it out. Maybe maybe something happened in that Buffalo game. Because ever since that Buffalo game, it's been rough 
for Trevor Simeon. And look, I did not think that we were going to be living in a world where Broncos fans are seriously considering wanting Brock Osweiler to start or making a call for Paxton Lynch to get healthy. And we're living in that world now. And I just, I mean, the defense is great. But they can only do so much, and it kind of goes to like the the team that we want to talk about next, um, where the defense is they can only do it they can only do so much, and then they're gassed on the field they can't get they can't get ahead. A lot of this is what I see in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, another team that needs to go into witness protection big time because we've said it time and time again, the team will only be as good as Jameis Winston will allow them to be, and on Sunday. I mean, he was better. He didn't. He wasn't the reason that they had a backbreaking turnover. I know you predicted it last week. You said that it's going to come down to a backbreaking turnover. Turns out it was Adam Humphreys not knowing how to hang on to the football. It wasn't Jameis Winston throwing to the wrong team. But there, I, I, I don't know what's going on with Tampa Bay. It's a case of they should be far better on offense than they are with the weapons that they have. Mike Evans. O.J. Howard, who we saw finally getting worked into the offense on Sunday. They've got Deshaun Jackson, who Jameis Winston can't throw the ball to, even if he was handing it off to him from two feet away. Something is going wrong with this team, and at some point, heads are going to roll because this is, not a, this is not a year where the Buccaneers were supposed to make a step. They were supposed to take a leap, and right now they're moving in the wrong direction. And I don't know if this is Cutter, and he can't, handle the head coaching duties. I don't know if this is Mike Smith's defense. I don't know if something's going on with the play calling. But when you're 2-4 and and you're a team that is far worse than you should be, these questions are going to be asked. And I don't know if they're necessarily fair. I'm not calling for Cutter's head at this point in the season. But you can't be blamed when fans go from, oh my God, it's coming down to the foot of a kicker. Now that that problem's solved, we still can't win. And it's, it, it's so infinitely frustrating as, you know, a Buccaneers fan, as many of you probably know from weeks past here. I, I, I just can't handle it. I don't know. This is when they took the lead against Buffalo and they let the Bills go down the field in what felt like five seconds flat. It was so reminiscent of every single year before this, the Raheem Morris era, the end of the John Gruden era, the short-lived Greg Schiano era, where it didn't matter what happened. Offenses was just going to punch through the defense. And that goes to the defense being much better than it. It, it. it should be better, but something's happening. I'll just be very brief. This since you're a Buccaneers fan, you touched on all of it. Look, I think Winston. He's got ten touchdowns and four picks. But watching him, he's got to be better. He was good against Buffalo, but there are times where he forces too many throws and it hurts them. They can't run the ball. They're rushing for three point seven yards an attempt. They have two carries all year that have gone for over twenty yards. Okay, that's got to change. The defense has seven sacks on the year. You're not going to win many games, and you can't sack the quarterback. Gerald McCoy has two sacks. Noah Spence has, has nine tackles and one sack this year. They need him to show up. They need him to do more. William Golson doesn't have one sack. So that's got to change. They have been injured defensively, to be fair, but that's going to, they're going to have to step up. The receivers are doing their job. Cameron Braid's playing terrific. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Jackson stepped up after a slow start. Mike Evans, we already know what he can do. So there's got to be more here. There's got to be more. I, I still think the Buccaneers are talented, but they're facing a point in the NFC where they got to start winning and winning now. And if they don't, they're going to be looking at the draft sooner rather than later. Okay, they have a couple of huge games coming up. They're at home against Carolina. Then they play at the Saints. Then they're home to the Jets. If they can take care of business in those games, I think they're back in the mix. If they can't, it's probably Cyanar in what is a very tough division. It, it's, it, it's not good. And it's, I said it last week, and I'll say it again this week, and I'll keep saying it. The bye week, the lack of a bye week is only going to be a heavier and heavier weight as the season continues on. They're 2-4. and four. It is 
beginning to unravel, and I just I just don't know what they can do. I don't know what they can do. But a team that beat Tampa Bay and was a reason why I'm in such distress, emotional distress, watching this team, the Arizona Cardinals, who just absolutely waxed the Buccaneers a couple of weeks ago, themselves got shut out on a different continent against the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Another team that needs to go into witness protection for a number of reasons, not the least of which is Carson Palmer's broken arm is essentially probably not only the end of that little era which we've been talking about for a while but i don't i don't see where they go from here trying to get back into the playoff hunt trying to get back into this nfc west chase which is still a little bit open you're not doing that with drew stanton i don't care if he's been there since 2013 i don't care if he knows bruce arian's system this team wasn't good before drew stanton got took over the job it wasn't good with carson palmer who is a good starting quarterback who's on the tail end of his career but still serviceable I just don't know what's going on here. The, the defense, this is not the first time that they've allowed just a ton of points. You got the game against the Eagles where they allowed a bunch of points. They almost let the Buccaneers come back after leading 31 to nothing, and then you give up 33 points against the Rams. I just, I just don't know what the Cardinals do from here. They're a terrible team. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald is, is still great, and nobody else is. They can't run the ball. Three yards of carry. Palmer, even before he got hurt, yeah, he threw for a lot of yards, almost 2,000. But he was completing 61% of his throws. His yards per attempt was 7.4, his average, nine, nine picks. He was sacked 22 times. No wonder he broke his arm. Uh, they're not good. And I think if you're a Cardinals fan at this point, you're almost kind of rooting for them to just tank because uh, they need a quarterback going forward. They have nobody on this roster who's going to be that guy. This is it for Palmer. Um, the Cardinals need to find them. I think last year they wanted Mahomes in the worst way. There were all kinds of rumors and, and talk behind the scenes that that's who they wanted. He would have been a perfect fit for Bruce Aaron's system. The Chiefs went up. They got him at 10. The Cardinals were picking at 13. I think they would have taken Deshaun Watson. Houston knew that as well. They traded up to 12. Arizona wasn't aggressive enough. Arizona should have moved up in that draft and gotten one of those kids. Didn't do it. They end up getting Hassan Reddick. Listen, nothing against Hassan Reddick. Looks like he could be a good player, but he's not the franchise. Mm-mm. And... Uh, at this point, like the Cardinals had a window. They missed it. Now they're really old, and it's time to rebuild. I think it's time to really kind of tear that thing apart, which is too bad because I really loved that Cardinals team a couple of yeah. years ago. I thought they were going to do something special and didn't get it done, and now it's time to, it's time to rebuild. Flipping over to the AFC for another team that needs to go into witness protection. This one's obvious, but we can discuss the non-obvious things here. The Indianapolis Colts, who are a – two and five team living in a zero and seven teams body because if you don't look their only two wins came against the 49ers who don't have a win and the browns who also don't have a win so what are we doing here but i want to highlight you know we can we can we can crap on the colts all that we want and we can maybe discuss who's going to take over after chuck pagano's gone but i just want to say that jacoby Brissett did a lot of things on sunday that made me respect him a little bit more maybe it's the patriots way that has been embedded in him but there was a sequence uh later in the game i think they were down i can't i can't remember if it was they were down 20 or 27 at that point but he was scrambling he wasn't sliding for first downs he was diving he was trying to get yardage maybe that's from working with belichick but i can see now why colts fans who maybe a little egregiously think that they're going to get a first round pick in a trade for brissette um he, he's a bright spot for them but Beyond that, look, when Joe, Jacoby Brissett play, throwing for 200 yards and scrambling for a first down or highlights in your season, it's, it's not good. And the Colts, they've been in this rut for a very long time, even with Andrew Luck. If he comes back, it's, it, it's not going to fix anything. And this you know is, they're a mess. Look, I, I, if anybody 
read my stack in the box column, which comes out every Monday, 6 a.m. Eastern on Fansided. It's on the front page. Check it out. Uh, I led with Colts, and I cover every team in, in the column every week, and I, I always have a, a lead. And so this week, uh, it was basically that it, it's time in Indianapolis. Time's come. Uh, the Indianapolis has frankly been a bad franchise covered up by great quarterbacks for mm-hmm. a long time. Peyton Manning was able to cover up the stink. Uh, How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Some of the decisions they made toward the end, Bill, Bill Polian, and then uh, later on, uh, once they both left, it was Ryan Grigson coming in. He drafted Andrew Luck, which, of course, was a no-brainer, but Grigson was terrible. Um, I would argue he's the worst general manager the last five years in the NFL. He's been replaced, but look, when you replace a general manager, uh, you typically want to also replace the coach. When you don't do that, it sets up a very odd situation because the general manager is sort of handcuffed. They, they can't really implement what they want to implement, and they're stuck with a coach that they may or may not want. There's no reason Chuck McDonough needs to be the coach of this team anymore. I'm sorry. There's, there's absolutely zero reason. They're two and five. As Josh, you point out, they beat two bad teams, horrible teams. They are one of the worst four or five teams in the league. The talent's terrible. Malik Hooker looks like a really good young rookie. Terrace is ACL and MCL yesterday. Mm. He's done for the year. Okay? It's terrible. Uh, they are as dysfunctional as it gets. Greg Doyle of the Indianapolis Star wrote a wonderful column and basically just eviscerated the team saying that T.Y. Hilton's out here blaming the offensive line. Yeah. And look, the offensive line's terrible. They gave up 10 sacks. What has T.Y. Hilton done for them this year? And you can say, well, he's got 512 yards. Yeah, well, of course he's going to lead the team. Nobody else in the team can do anything. He's got 27 catches. He has one touchdown. Look, T.Y. Hilton, yes, he's probably the best player on this roster right now, but what is that saying? T.Y. Hilton needs to be a leader. And they don't have – there's no accountability. There's nothing. And then the other thing, if you want to talk about Pagano, why he should be fired, they drafted Marlon Mack in the middle of the draft this past year, okay? Marlon Mack has 156 rushing yards, which on the surface you'd say, well, that's terrible. He's got 32 carries. He's averaging almost five yards in attempt. He's got four rushes over 20 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Why are they playing Frank Gore? Frank Gore is a Hall of Fame running back. Frank Gore is also done. Two things can be true at the same time. He's averaging 3.4 yards a carry. He is done. And the fact that Pagano, on a team that's going nowhere, is trotting Frank Gore out there for two-thirds of this team's carries, actually more than that, about 75% of their carries, is insane. They have no defensive talent. At this point, you fire Pagano. They've got a couple of ex-head coaches on that staff and Rob Chajinsky and, mm-hmm. and Joe Philbin. Let one of them run the team the rest of the year, then fire everybody, and bring because you're going to get a good head coach there. Oh, yeah. Everybody wants to coach Andrew Luck. I wouldn't be surprised. I know it's been a long rumor. John Gruden could go there. Yeah. Like, that is a perfect fit. But the idea that, that they are going to somehow turn this around with this roster, with it, it's got to be a rebuild. You tear it down, you start drafting high, and when Luck comes back, you invest in the defense and the offensive line because he can make the position players around them good at receiver, at running back, at tight end. He can't fix the defense, and he can't fix the offensive line. So the Colts, to me, Pagano should be the first coach fired this year. Well, absolutely. And you, you just look at the incompetence here, that, and it goes to the point that you were saying, like they just need to rebuild. But these time and time again, and this goes across all sports, Teams are just afraid to rebuild, unless you're the Sixers or the Suns or somebody who just wants to go all in on, on the suck. 
teams are afraid to rebuild because of the way that it looks. And that's exactly what we saw with the Colts. They had Peyton Manning and a bunch of old receivers that aged with Peyton Manning, won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, were on his timeline, and tried to force that into Andrew Luck. And it didn't work. And they drafted bad. And now they're in a position where Andrew Luck is, you know, almost, you know, half a decade into his career. And he's got nothing to show for it. We talked about it in the preseason off the show, but we were making comparisons of is Andrew Luck the new Dan Fouts? Where he's a really, really, really good quarterback who plays on all right to okay teams, but just never is able to make that leap. You know, even Dan Marino was on teams that were Super Bowl contenders. You know, I just, to me, something went wrong somewhere. I think maybe the success early on in Andrew Luck's career ended up being bad in the long run because they go a little bit deeper each year into the playoffs and then all of a sudden it falls off of a cliff. And you can't sustain that because they did not have, like you said, a young core, a young foundation to build upon, which is why people were so excited about Tennessee and Tampa Bay and some of these teams coming into the season because they had something there that they could work with. There's nothing in Indianapolis to work with. And, you know, if it wasn't for the Browns, who are clearly the worst team in football, I would make an argument that there is no more hopeless franchise in the NFL than the Colts because they have nothing to look forward to. They have at least the Browns have like Miles Garrett and something that they can work with. They have some young talent, but the Colts, oh my God, it's bad. I'm sorry, the Browns aren't even a football team. <laughs> Honestly, the NFL is 31 teams and then Cleveland somehow gets involved every weekend. Um, okay, so that is. Our two topics of the week, obviously. Uh, thank you for sticking with us. Hopefully you enjoyed that part. We're, you know, give us some feedback. We're trying out a little bit of a new format, just yeah. kind of leading in first half hour or so with some different topics. And, like, you know, obviously as the year goes on, we're just going to talk a little bit more about the teams that are in contention because, let's be honest, that's what really kind of drives interest. So, uh, but we don't want to lose anybody who's a fan of a bad team that, no. that uh, you know, is, is struggling. So, that all being said, let's get into the games this week. First game, Thursday night, Miami at Baltimore. Baltimore coming off of two very tough losses, lost to the Bears, lost to the Vikings. The offense is abysmal. Uh, Miami, on the other hand, down 28-14 to 14 at home to the Jets in the fourth quarter. Jay Cutler leaves with cracked ribs. Matt Moore comes in, rallies him to 17 unanswered points. Dolphins, they haven't been impressive this year, but somehow they're 4-2, and two, and now having a real chance to kind of get going and get some ground uh, and really separate a little bit in the AFC uh, wildcard race. But the Ravens favored by three at home in this game. Yeah, it seems like everybody in the AFC that's having success is like, oh, they shouldn't be this good, but somehow they're stringing together wins, and that's what the Dolphins have done. They win against the Titans. They win against the Falcons, which was impressive. I don't want to take that away from them. And now you get the Matt Moore show, who he played in a playoff game with these guys. He got shell-shocked. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was unconscious for about three different plays in that series against the Steelers. But I'm going to go with Miami in this one just because the, the Ravens, they're, they're on the downside. I don't see anything good there. And the Dolphins, they seem to be cruising. And if, if it's working, it's working. Yeah, give me the Dolphins. Uh, normally, I, I like the Ravens at home. They're usually a good home team. But this year, not the case. Uh, lost a couple games already at home. If the defense doesn't win them the game, they just can't win. Mm-hmm. They have no ability to score points. Joe Flacco's absolutely cooked. Um, you know, and if it sounds like we're just piling on, not giving real you know background on it. Joe Flacco this year has thrown for 1,189 yards, 5.3 yards in a 10. He has five touchdowns and eight picks, and he's been sacked 17 times. They are awful. The only, and I mean the only bright spot on that offense is Alec Collins, who's actually done a nice job as a running back. He's come in. He's really kind of taken over that, that top spot. 
But their offense is awful. Mike Wallace has 248 receiving yards, and he's leading the team. Mm. Jeremy Macklin is 159 yards. Uh, as a Chiefs fan, I didn't understand why they cut him. Well, it turns out it was the right move. Uh, Brashad Perriman, four catches, 26 yards. Uh, so, and by the way, on the Dolphins real quick, I think they should keep starting Matt Moore. If, if, he, yeah. if he plays well in this game, the, Jay Cutler's got to either be sat or oh, got to yeah. go. Because there's no reason to play Jay. Jay Cutler has been terrible this season, okay? I don't see any reason why Matt Moore shouldn't be the starter. Matt Moore is a decent quarterback. He's, look, he's not somebody you want starting 16 games, although in this case, what are you going to do? Ryan Tannehill's hurt, but he can, he can give you something, and he's a good backup. He knows the team. He knows the system. He led that comeback. I think the Dolphins are going to win this game. They're going to get the 5-2, and two, and I do think that if the, if the Ravens lose, knocks them back to 3-5, and five, and I think that's pretty much all she wrote for Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, Matt Moore... He's playing with a chip on his shoulder. And also your weekly reminder that the Ravens have $53 million in dead cap space in Joe Flacco's contract. Next game. (laughs) Please don't drive off the rock. Um, Okay. So, moving to Sunday. London game. Hope you enjoy this, London. Minnesota, quote-unquote, at Cleveland. Uh, Vikings are favored by nine in the game. I'm not going to have another rant about the Browns. I, I can't do it. Uh, the, the Vikings, I take them to win and cover the spread. I don't care. The, the spread could be 20 in this game. Uh, Minnesota is a terrific defense. They're 5-2, playing really well. Case Keenum, to his credits, played really well uh, in, a, in a backup to starter role here. The Vikings smell blood in that division. They know the Packers look deader than all get out without Aaron Rodgers. And the Browns are terrible. The, I, I really, you know, I'm never one of these people who think 16-0 or all 16 because it's just so hard to do either of those things. I, the Browns are, are a real candidate to go on 16 again. Joe Thomas is out for the year, tore his triceps. Uh, they have no quarterback. They, they bench a quarterback every week, but I can feel a rant coming on, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Minnesota minus nine. I think the Vikings get to six and two. This is a preseason game for the Vikings. And I know my, uh, my friends back in Minnesota uh, say that I jinx the team all the time when I say something's going to happen. I'll go back, you know, I called the Blair Walsh kick against the Seahawks. I was like, I know he's going to miss it. One of the most historic misses ever. This is a preseason game for the Vikings. They're not going to lose this game. And I wish Teddy Bridgewater was further along in his recovery because this would have been a perfect game to start Case Keenum, start some of the starters, and then roll him out and see what he has. But he's not going to be back for a little while. Uh, yeah, Minnesota, blood in the water. They lose this game. They deserve to be contracted. That's a strong take, but it's not an accurate take. <laughs> we're, we're getting to that point with the Browns, though. It's like if you lose to the – nobody wants to lose to the Browns. Do they play the Chargers this and, year? And real quickly, yes, they do. <laughs> who, they, who they beat last year right? for the only yeah. Um That game's in L.A. this year, though, so oh, I'll tell you. Yeah. Six people are Chargers lose that, that game. <laughs> I mean, talk about contraction. But that being said, with Cleveland, what, when we talked about Pagano and the fact that he's yeah. fired. Okay? I know Cleveland's personnel stinks. I get it. At what point, though, at what, at what point with Hugh Jackson here? Mm. They're, they're 0-7 this year. They went 1-15 last year. And to me, it's not even the record as much as it is just a constant carousel quarterback. Yeah. Make a decision. I know Deshaun Kaiser stinks, and that's fine. Like He does stink. He's thrown three touchdowns and 11 picks. He's been awful. But Kevin Hogan and Cody Kessler, okay, they're not fixing it. They stink, too. Okay, so I don't understand. And my whole thing is, look, they, they traded Os- – or actually, they, they released Osweiler, which, fine. Okay, I don't have a problem with the, they made the trade to get a second-round pick from Houston. Fine, it was a smart move. They had a ton of cast space. Brock Osweiler is better than any of these guys. Oh, yeah. And – which is a statement really more about these three guys than it is about Osweiler. But point being, if you thought Deshaun Kaiser was ready to start, 
which they clearly did because they're starting week one, and he's just bad, then that's an indictment on you. That's mm-hmm. not an indictment on Deshaun Kaiser. That's, a, that's an indictment on your coaching staff. And frankly, it's the same thing over in Houston with Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson. Yep. They had four months to make a decision, and they thought Tom Savage was the best quarterback. They're not, look, Bill O'Brien has fallen ass backwards into a good situation because yeah. Watson's played terrific. <laughs> but let's, let's not pretend that Bill O'Brien was some kind of a genius there. Mm-mm. And with the Browns, it's the same thing. They started a quarterback who was the wrong quarterback to start. They should have started Osweiler and just let Kaiser develop. Everybody in this draft, everybody said that these quarterbacks are not ready to start this year, not one of them. And the only team that hasn't started their quarterback that they drafted earlier is the Chiefs with Mahomes. And part of that's because the Chiefs have a more confident situation than anybody else. And part of that's because Alex Smith looks like Aaron Rodgers this year. But they're the only team that stuck that. Every other team started these guys. And none of them have played well other than other than Watson, who obviously is playing very well for Houston. Well, yeah, and Watson's in a pretty decent offense, too, when you throw into Hopkins. and He's got some talent happy. to work with. But, you know, yeah. you know what you're saying is true. It's, it's not, the locker room's gone. Hugh Jackson's lost it. We found that out on Saturday when Deshaun Kaiser's out getting cheeseburgers, which nobody's out getting cheeseburgers at 2 a.m. I'm, I'm sorry. I love cheeseburgers, but I'm not going but You might be getting a cheeseburger, but it, it's following something else. <laughs> yeah, right? And, and, like, he's lost that locker room, and it's unfortunate because I think that Hugh Jackson's a really good head coach, and I was really excited that he was going to turn this team around, that he was the right guy. But this is just the vicious cycle that Browns fans have been living in since 1999, and before that even, where the head coach is fired, they'll draft a quarterback high in the draft, start slow to the season, everybody's going to start questioning it, and then you blow it up. And that's just it, it, it's the endless cycle. So we'll leave it at that. That's the London game, 9.30 Eastern uh, in the morning. And then the 1 o'clock games start with Atlanta at the Jets. Normally I would just laugh and say, oh, Atlanta, they'll win by 30. I, I, what is Atlanta going to do in this game? I'm Atlanta's right. favored by four. I'm going to take them strictly because I just I – mean, they have to win a game at some mm-hmm. point, right? Like they have to win a game. And the Jets, uh, give them credit. The Jets, to be fair, are, are – not a bad team. Like the Jets aren't, listen, the Jets talent wise are a bad team. Mm-hmm. But the product they put on the field is a good competitive team week in and week out. So I give them credit. Uh, I think this game is going to be fairly close because the, the Falcons just cannot do anything. That being said, this if there's ever a game to get the ball to Julio Jones, yeah. I mean, this is it. If you can't do it in this game, there are some real issues. So I would, I would take Atlanta to win, but I think it's competitive. I'm going to take Atlanta to win. As I said my piece about Atlanta when we said they need to go into witness protection, I agree with you. Julio Jones needs to come out in this game, but we said that against New England. We said, hey, maybe he's got to come out against this game. They don't have that great of a secondary, and it didn't happen. Um, Vic Beasley, he came back for the Falcons. Wasn't much of a factor. I'm taking Atlanta, but I'm, I'm doing so more begrudgingly than I thought I would be looking at this game earlier in the year. Yeah, and look, you know what? There's not a whole lot to analyze here. If Atlanta plays well, they're going to win. Uh, the talent, obviously, is, is tipped to their favor on in all sides of you know, offense, defense, special teams. But the Jets, i got to be honest, this is also the kind of game I can see the Jets winning 23-20 to and the Falcons fans just going berserk. But give me the Falcons. We'll stay in the NFC South. Carolina at Tampa Bay. I always let you have the floor at the Buccaneers. Your Bucks favored by two and a half. Obviously, you guys coming off three straight losses. But Carolina coming off a pair of losses, looking bad at home against Philadelphia as that game wore on, and then scoring three points. And look, I just will make this quick note because I feel like I say this every week, and I, and I don't want it to come off as a piling. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. 
Samsung Neo QLED 8K, unreasonably good. Um, it's just a matter of, sta- uh, of fate, uh, I can't speak, of statement. <laughs> um, Cam Newton has games where he's great. Cam Newton also has stretches where he's just terrible. Oh, yeah. And this year is a case in point. He's had some great games. Played great against the Lions. Played great against the Pats. Uh, the Pats. I really am having a seizure. Um, okay. But he's also had some really bad games. He threw yeah. three picks against New Orleans in a loss at home. He threw multiple picks against Philadelphia at home. And, and frankly, could have even thrown more than he did in that game. A couple dropped interceptions. And then against the Bears, again, more turnovers. He has nine touchdowns to ten picks. He's been sacked 22 times. The offensive line's been bad in front of him. We don't know what's going on with Luke Keekley. I think for the Panthers, this is a make-it-or-break-it type of game. You're four and three, but you got to start to get going a little bit here. It's a make-it-or-break-it game for the Bucks too, because they've just lost – horrifying games this year and games that they should not have lost and to wrap up the the Panthers real quick you know they're playing Tampa Bay this week then they get Atlanta Miami the Jets and the Saints so it's not necessarily an easy slate especially considering they just played Detroit Philadelphia and Chicago and they only won one of those games so it's it's a little bit I'm not sold on the Panthers I don't think that they're a good team but I've thought this for a very long time this is like one of the few times where Cam Newton's actually going to start against the Buccaneers because I think the last couple of times it's been the Derek Anderson show. So who knows? Maybe something's going to happen during the week. But for the Bucs, if they don't win this game, that will be four straight losses. And then they get the Saints on the road. They go back home against the Jets, who aren't an easy out. And then you get the Dolphins, the Falcons, the Packers. It's, it's not going to be good if the Bucs can't get a win here. If they can't beat Carolina a divisional opponent if they can't rebound after three very bad losses that games that they should have won I don't know I don't know what to do with this team it's going to be a lost season and it's going to be consequences are going to happen after the season I don't know if that's in the front office the head coach it's not going to be good I'm taking Tampa Bay but it's not I don't I'm not happy about it I'm also going to take Tampa Bay, but I will tell you this. This is my last stand with your Bucs. If they <laughs> lose this game, I just think at some point here, the Buccaneers are going to put together a good 60 minutes of football. Yeah. I think they're talented. I think they know the season's on the line. And I don't trust Cam Newton, frankly. Mm-hmm. I, just, I, I think he's the most overrated player in the NFL. He's a great athlete. He's a bad quarterback. Giving Tampa Bay minus two and a half. And again, staying for the NFC South one more time here, the Saints, they're at home against the Bears. Saints are yeah. favored by nine points. All of a sudden, New Orleans looking like a real football team. Won four games in a row. The defense, something we never talk about with the Saints. Every And if you do talk about it, it's not good. Usually yeah. it's, well, the Saints defense, it's non-existent. The Saints defense this year has been good. In fact, if you look at the rankings and you go by yards per game, okay, the Saints normally around 30th, around 23rd. Now, look, that's not great, but that's, that's workable with an offense like they have. And so I'm impressed by the Saints. Uh, I think they, they will handle business against the Bears. The Bears have a pretty good defense, good front seven. The problem is with the Bears, and I know they've won two straight. They beat the Ravens. They, they beat the Panthers. They can't score. Mm-hmm. If, if they don't score on defense, they don't score. And when you look at Mitchell Trubisky, everybody's going to say, oh, yeah, he's, you know, they're, they're winning. He's playing well. Mitchell Trubisky is 24-48, okay, so completing half his passes, two touchdowns and a pick. There's no reason to be – down on Trubisky because he has no weapons to work with but there's no reason to either you know feel excited about this offense either they can run the ball that's it that's not enough to beat the Saints you can rely on your defense to score enough maybe to beat the Panthers or the Ravens they're, they're not beating the Saints without scoring some points offensively I don't see it maybe the Bears cover nine is a pretty big spread but in the Superdome Saints winning four in a row leading the NFC South kind of getting on that roll a little bit 
I like the Saints in this game. I think Drew Brees and company handles business. Mitchell Trubisky completed four passes in the win on Sunday. And they won by 14 points. That's all you need to know. Eddie, Eddie Jackson scored 14 points for the Bears. He's the only guy that scored a touchdown, and I think that that's both an indictment of the Bears and also the Panthers. I would be leaning towards the Bears in this game. The reason I picked them last week is because weird things happen at Soldier Field for some reason. We referenced it earlier against the Steelers, the Falcons, and now the Panthers. But this game's in New Orleans, and Drew Brees at home historically is lights out. I know he threw for under 200 yards against the Lions, but the Lions are a good team. The Bears' defense, better than advertised. I'll give them credit. I mean, look, the Bears, nobody thought the Bears were going to be anything this year, and they very much up, uh, surpassed my expectations. Uh, but they're not going to win. It's going to be the Saints, and like you said, they're looking like a real football team, and they know that the NFC South is a very winnable division. They pick up a couple of wins here and there. The schedule gets a little bit easier for them. I think that they're going to start rolling Saints in this one for me. Yeah, and, and you look at the Saints schedule. You mentioned that they play one game the rest of the year against a team that's currently, excuse me, two games. Two games uh, against the Bills and the, and the Rams, both road games, against teams that are more than one game over 500. They have six home games left, including this one against the Bears. I think the Saints are going to win this division. I think the Saints are legitimate. And, yeah. and you know what? Hey, prove me wrong because I thought going into the year, I thought the offense would be good like it normally is, but I thought the defense would stink. Well, the defense has not been great. But it's been better, and it's been enough. And so I also think getting rid of Adrian Peterson was the best thing this team could have done. Oh, yeah. Because they're playing Alvin Kamara more, Mark Ingram since they got rid of him, 200-yard games. It's not a coincidence. It's give me the Saints, minus nine. I think they win. I think the Bears backdoor cover it. Biggest spread of the week, uh, Indianapolis at Cincinnati. Now, the fact that Cincinnati is the, <laughs> is the biggest favorite this week at 2-4 and four tells you just how much the Colts are atrocious. We don't even have to get into this. We already talked about the Colts. Okay, Bengals favored by 10 points in the game. I think the Bengals are going to win. I think the Bengals are going to cover. Indianapolis is atrocious. The Bengals have to win. Even though they're 2-4, and four, they're still in the race here. Not so much for the AFC North, but for a wild card spot. Okay, I like the Bengals to take care of business here. They won two games before their bye. Then they played at Pittsburgh. They played well for a half, fell apart in the second half. I don't trust Andy Dalton. But I'll tell you what, the Bengals' schedule going forward... They, they could be a wild card team. They play the Colts at home. Then they have a three-game road trip that's going to define their year. Jacksonville, Tennessee, and Denver. Mm. If they could find a way to just win two of those games, then they come home. They got Cleveland, Pittsburgh on a Monday night, which is always a tough spot on being you know for a road team on a primetime game, especially against a team that could be playing for something big. Then the Bears at home. I like the Bengals to bounce back here and win this game. I don't think the Bengals are great, but I think they're decent, and the Colts are nowhere near that. Yeah, I've said what I needed to say about the Colts. And as far as the Bengals, I agree with everything that you said. And they get a win this week, which they should. And if they don't, then they shouldn't. They just need to be taken out of the wild card conversation right away. I know they'll mathematically be doing that, but just everything needs to be, be out if they lose to the Colts. Their schedule, I like it moving forward. That game against Pittsburgh later in the year could be big time because we don't know what the, the uh, AFC North is going to look like. That could be a very important game, but I've got the Bengals in this one because you know I have eyes and I've seen the Colts play. So Yeah, and look, I, I, just, I, I don't want to talk about the Colts anymore. I don't think Colts fans. The last thing they want to do is talk about the Colts more. This next game is interesting to me. The Chargers are at New England. New England's favored by a touchdown. I'm not going to be one of these people that falls in that trap. Oh, the Chargers are good now because every time everybody mm -hmm. says that, they immediately go out and lose by 40. Yep. But the one thing about this game that's interesting is Tom Brady has not been protected well this year. Nate Solder struggled at left tackle. Okay. New England is not a team that usually runs the ball particularly well. And if they end up in second and third and long situations, 
against San Diego, San Diego, against Los Angeles. Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, they can make you pay. They're the best oh, yeah. duo of pass rushers right now in the NFL. They lit up Trevor Simeon. We'll get to the Broncos in a little bit. But the Chargers are 3-4. and four. I, I would actually say they have a real shot at a wild card in the AFC. And they, they bounced back. Give them credit. They were 0-4. Now, the Pats are the best team here by a long shot. I think the Pats are going to win this game. I do not think they'll cover. I think the Chargers are going to give them all they can handle. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Chargers can guard Gronkowski. I think they can actually deal with Cooks to some degree because they do have Casey Hayward. But I don't think they can play enough defense. I think the Chargers are going to score some points. I think the Chargers are going to score 30 points. I don't think, however, that they're going to be able to outscore New England, who I think wins late. So give me New England. But this game, much more interesting than I think a lot of people believe. Yeah, people are going to be drunk on the Chargers coming off of a shutout win over the Broncos, which says less about the Broncos than it does more about the Chargers. But give the Chargers credit. You know, I'm not like you. I'm not one of these people that is going to fall into the trap of, oh, the Chargers are playing good again. I do think they'll play New England tough. I've got the Patriots winning this game because, I mean, that's not an upset that's going to happen. There's no way that the Chargers are coming across the coast, you know, across the country twice and beating an East Coast team. The Giants are a much different team than the Patriots are. Um, I agree with you that it's going to be a much better game than a lot of people thought it would be, but New England's still going to win. So staying with uh, an AFC West against an AFC East opponent, Oakland going on the road to visit the Bills. The Bills favored by three, coming off the win, of course, over your Buccaneers. The Raiders coming off a wild 31-30 win over my Chiefs. Raiders are three and four. Bills are four and two. I don't know what to make of this game. I like the Bills. I think the Bills have a real defense. I think LaShawn McCoy is going to run the ball consistently against the Raiders. i got to be honest. And this is going to come off as sour grace, but it's really just how I feel. I don't think the Raiders are good. I think the Chiefs handed them the game in a lot of respects. Kansas City just beat themselves over and over and over. I watched the film in that game. There were blown assignments. There were misprotections. Uh, and that's not to take a look. Derek Hart played very well in the game. He made some great throws. But I really do believe this is a tough spot for the Raiders. Going across the country... The Bills are halfway decent. Uh, I'm going to take the Bills. I'm, I'm not going to say I feel overly confident in it, but I'm taking the home team that doesn't have to go all the way across America to play this game. Give me Buffalo, and I think it's right around the line. In fact, you know what? I'm going to go rogue and say it's a push. Ooh, big time. <laughs> um, I'm going with Buffalo. Uh, it's not sour grapes. You know, God, I don't have anything to be sour about. The Bills just beat the Buccaneers last week. And I've said this before, even before that game, that the Bills look to me to be a legitimate team, and they're one of the biggest, if not the biggest, surprise of this season for me because we joked about it before the year that the Bills and the Jets are going to duke it out for who's going to be the worst team. And here we are. I mean, the Jets are decent, but the Bills are a playoff team. That, that defense is great. And Tyrod Taylor, you know, say what you will about him. He's massively underrated. What he can do on third downs, and the Buccaneers, you know, say they don't have the best third down defense, but the way that he was just making people miss, like he's making Gerald McCoy miss. Gerald McCoy is a pro bowl, all pro defensive tackle. He does not miss quarterbacks when he locks in on them. And Tyrod Taylor is able to make them miss. Very underrated. I think that they got a good quarterback there. The offense he's made... Something with nothing, but LaShawn McCoy, we said that they were he was going to come into his own at some point this season. It took seven weeks for him to get his first touchdown, but now I think he smells the blood in the water. He wants this, and he's going to go off. And the Raiders, I don't know how many times we can say that they don't have a defense. We proved it against Kansas City, giving up all those points. I think LaShawn McCoy had a decent game against the Buccaneers on Sunday, but I think this week is when he really 
pops, and he's going to be your fantasy football talker of next week. I've got Buffalo in this one. The funny thing is the Chiefs scored 30 points against the Raiders, and if you watch the tape, the Chiefs missed about nine throws that they yeah. normally hit in that game. They missed protections. The Chiefs were playing with three backup offensive linemen and still scored 30 points. Um, so, i tell you for what it's worth. So, NFC side of things, last 1 o'clock game, uh, San Francisco's at Philly. There's no line yet because we're recording this before the Monday night game between the Eagles and the Redskins. My prediction is that's going to be uh, at least a 10-point line. It might even be more than that. Uh, regardless of the line, I, I'm taking Philadelphia in this game. I think Philadelphia right now is, if not the best team in football, certainly one of the top three or four, right along with New England, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, you want, you know, whoever else you want to throw in there. Um, there's, you know, San Francisco got blown out by Dallas 40-10. to 10. Other than that, they've typically played well this year in terms of keeping the game close. This is just being overwhelmed, frankly. I don't mm-hmm. think they have any shot of really blocking Philadelphia. I think Wentz is a good game. And so give me uh, the Eagles. The Niners are playing tough. I'm really rooting for them to get a couple of wins here because they're trying. But it's just the talent level right now is just not there for, for San Fran. I was very ready on Sunday to write up a column about how the 49ers are the best 0-7 team that I've ever seen because they've played, like you said, very close games. I think before the Dallas game outside of – the Panthers game week one, all of their losses have been by three points or less. But on Sunday, they finally looked like an 0-7 team. It was brutal. It was bad. They gave up 40 points at home. It was disgusting. C.J. Beathard is your quarterback. What do you expect to happen? Uh, The Eagles, to me, like last week I said, if the 49ers were to beat the Cowboys, it would kind of take away the Rams' win over the Cowboys. I think kind of that sentiment is here again with the Eagles. If they are a legitimate playoff team, if they are for real and somebody that we really think will make it to the Super Bowl, they need to they need to win this game. They can't do what Tennessee did and win twelve to nine. They need to they need to go out and they need to really win this game. And I think they're going to. It's going to be interesting to see what Philadelphia can do because I really like the Eagles uh, and I thought they were like an eight and eight type team for the year, but they really. They've yeah. stepped up, and, and Wentz has taken another step, and I, I like what I see out of them. By the way, uh, you know, I remember before the year, and I won't say who it was, but there was a certain uh, media personality who was killing Doug Peterson, and he just kept repeating over and over and over how he was the worst head coach of all time. I'd also like to point out that media member was a former NFL general manager, and I used the word former. <laughs> so going to the four o'clock games, uh, Houston at Seattle, Houston coming off a bye, Seattle coming off a win over the Giants, which probably felt like a bye. Seattle's favored by five and a half points in the game at home, which means Vegas really feels like if this game were a neutral field, uh, be about a two and a half, three point line in favor of Seattle. <sighs> Seattle has real issues, but I trust that defense at home against a rookie quarterback. And I get it. Watson's played well, but one thing that does need to be said, and that. Listen, I'm not killing Deshaun Watson. I really like him. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before... You need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. He's thrown five picks. He's been sacked 14 times. Okay. Deshaun Watson is completing 61% of his throws. Now, he's got 15 touchdowns, which is great. But there is something to be said for a little bit of, hey, let's not go too crazy. He's averaging 200 yards a game. 
Okay, and now they're going into Seattle. They're playing a very good defense. They're playing a terrific front, a very experienced, talented, savvy secondary. I like Seattle in this game. I think it's a good game, but I think it's a game that, that ultimately has Seattle moving on to 5-2. and two. The future is very bright for Deshaun Watson, but the future is not now for Deshaun Watson. And I think we're going to learn that on Sunday against the Seahawks, who really need to start figuring – they really need to start tightening things up they're one of those teams that, like New England and Pittsburgh for the most part, they can start a little bit slow, but you know that they're going to figure it out. They're really going to lock their rosters in at the end of October through November, and then they start peaking in January and February when it matters. This is a game that they just need to have, and I give a lot of credit to Houston and even more credit to Deshaun Watson for the season that they've put together. This is not going to be a game that they're going to win. Maybe they play them close because uh, – Indianapolis went into Seattle and kind of was close for a little while, and then that game just yeah, yeah, until <laughs> they took him behind a dumpster. Yeah. But uh, I, I think Houston will play him a little bit closer. Maybe this will be reminiscent to when they went to New England and almost won. But this is Seattle's game to lose. I, I agree. I agree with all points. Uh, moving on to the four twenty, only four twenty five game. In fact, there's only two four o'clock games next week. We'll see if one gets flexed into that time, but. Dallas at Washington. Now, despite the Redskins having not played yet in this Monday nighter against Philadelphia, there is a line for this game. Washington's favored by a point and a half over the Cowboys. Of course, talked about it. The Cowboys winning 40-10 to 10, uh, over the, the 49ers. The Redskins, uh, we'll see what they do against Philly. This is an interesting game. Let's say, let's say the Redskins lose at Philadelphia. They're five-point on dog game. So let's say they lose, and they're 3-3. Three and three. Well, Dallas is 3-3. Three and three. This is a huge game. Like whoever yeah. wins this game, feeling okay, we're four and three, you know, a division win. Gotta feel like hey, maybe we're getting some momentum, maybe we can catch Philly, if not, a wild card team. And whoever loses this game's in real trouble. I admit, this is a total gut feel, because I think these teams are fairly evenly matched. I'm taking the Redskins at home in this game. I think the Redskins are a little bit better in terms of being more well rounded. I think Kirk Cousins will throw the ball well against Dallas. So give me the Redskins, who have a very physical front seven, who I think can at least slow down Ezekiel Elliott a little bit. But this, to me, is a toss-up, the biggest toss-up of the week. Oh, big time. And, you know, if this was in Dallas, maybe I'd feel a little bit differently. I'd pick Dallas. Yeah. Honestly. Um, I'm going to go with Washington in this one, too, just because Dallas has been so up and down this year. I mean, they put together a good game against a bad team last week, but then they throw up a dud against the Broncos, who then are now losing to the Giants and, you know, the Chargers. I don't know what to think about the Cowboys right now. Um, I'm going to go with Washington. I, I, I just like them, and I agree with you that the motivation of needing to win this game, whoever ends up winning this game is going to be that team in the NFC East, and the other team is going to be Curtin's see you next year. And right now, Washington's in the playoffs as a wild card team. So I'm going to go with the, they appear to be the better team. I'm going to go with Washington. It's going to be a very, very intriguing game because whoever wins, really, uh, it's a huge win for that team. It's a rough loss going the other way. The Sunday night game I find to be very interesting, and it is Pittsburgh at Detroit. Detroit coming off a bye, losers of two straight. They're 3-3. Three and three. They've got to feel like that division is open right now for them to make a move on with, with the Packers being in the dumps. The Steelers, after being in the doldrums, go out and beat up on Kansas City at Arrowhead, then come home, take care of business against Cincinnati. Pittsburgh plays with more swagger than any team in the league. You can yeah. see when they feel like they're playing well, and you can see when they feel like something's amiss. Now, one thing to keep note of, Martavis Bryant did not show up to the Steelers building on Monday. Mm-hmm. He's talked about wanting to be 
traded, uh, then denied it, then responded to a fan on social media on Sunday saying that Juju Smith-Schuster is nowhere near as good as him and that he wants something that he hopes he gets soon. I'm assuming that would be a trade. He's claiming that he's sick, and that's why I didn't come to the building. I'm claiming that that's ridiculous, and that that is BS. Uh, So there's a little bit of drama going around with Pittsburgh right now. The trade deadline only in a few days. I believe it's Halloween, actually. Um, The Lions coming off a bye. So... Very interesting game. It's in Detroit. Steelers are favored by a field goal. I feel like this is the kind of game that the Lions will play well and the Steelers will play poorly and everyone will wonder what's wrong with Pittsburgh and why can't they be consistent. And then next week, Pittsburgh will go out, go out and win by 50. Um, I'm going to wince a little bit and take Detroit as a desperate home team. I always think it's hard to be the road team in prime time. Mm-hmm. It could go either way, and I and you know what? If Golden Tate doesn't play in this game, then I I, I might have to flip picks. But I think he'll play, and I'm taking Detroit. I'm going to take Detroit as well, just because I've said it in weeks past. Matthew Stafford in the fourth quarter, if he's on, he's on. And I feel like this has all the makings of a game that's going to come down to one last drive for Matthew Stafford. And to your point about the Lions coming off a bye week, they're also coming off of two straight losses. Are they going to make it three straight losses going into a game at Green Bay? So like. We're talking about people taking or teams taking advantage of their schedules. Green, uh, Detroit gets a win against Pittsburgh on Sunday night. Then they go at Green Bay and Brett Hundley. Very winnable game. Then they get Cleveland, Chicago, and then Minnesota. So Detroit has a chance here to turn the season around. Not that it's moving in the wrong direction. Right now they're the 11th seed, according to NFL.com, in the playoff standings. On the outside looking in. But get a win against Pittsburgh. Gets your swagger back. It gets you thinking that you're a good team again and then you go out and you beat an easy Packers team you beat the Browns and then you go up against the Bears who you can win or you can beat and then you've got the Vikings and that could very much maybe flip the NFC North so I've got the Lions like you said desperation and good things could come from this win if it happens yeah I think it's a a huge game and again you know we talked at the top of the show about these three teams in the AFC Pittsburgh being one of them every game for those three teams they're all big Mm mm-hmm because it's not about the division for those three teams. They're all going to win the division. It's about getting to that top spot, that one oh, yeah. seed in the AFC. You can't overstate the advantage it gives that team. And now we get to one of the other ones with the last game of the week, the Monday night game, Denver at Kansas City. Kansas City line opened at seven. It's moved to seven and a half in most places. Uh, the Chiefs have a long week to get ready for this. It's a Monday night game. The Chiefs haven't played you know, since last Thursday when they lost to the Raiders. The Broncos played on Sunday. They were shut out 21-0 by the Chargers. It's two losses in a row coming off the bye for Denver. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders still has the ankle injury. Hard to see him playing in this game. Trevor Simeon was roughed up against the Chargers, but Vance Joseph says he will continue to be the quarterback. Uh, Look, everybody's going to pile on Trevor Simeon. I'm not going to go that route. Trevor Simeon is a backup quarterback in the NFL who's, who's been forced to be a starter because John Elway missed on Paxton Lynch, and he's been terrible. And yes, right now Lynch is hurt with a shoulder injury, but even when he's been healthy, he's played like he's had a shoulder injury. Brock Osweiler is the backup. He's not good. They're not going to go to him. They know he's not the future there. Okay, In fact, I think he's going to get cut when Paxton Lynch is healthy. Um, The real problem is Denver's offensive line. Their offensive line is comical. 22 sacks have been given up. A lot of times guys just come clean. He has no time to throw the football. Against the Chargers... Uh, they started on left guard at right tackle because they had so many injuries at that spot. We'll see if that changes this week. And if it doesn't, uh, I would expect Justin Houston to be present in the backfield. Um, <laughs> you know, look, I, as a Chiefs fan and, and as somebody who's, who watches him, you know, as intently as anybody, 
the offense has always played well against this Denver defense. Now, Denver has a really good defense, but last year on Christmas, the Chiefs lit them up, I think it was for 33 points. Uh, in Denver, they scored 30 on them. The game before that, they scored 29 on them in Denver during that Super Bowl run for, for the Broncos. I, I think the Chiefs just kind of have Denver's number a little bit. It's a Monday night or an Arrowhead. They're, the Chiefs are a little bit desperate, and I think want to prove that maybe this isn't, you know, the last two weeks is an aberration. I think Kansas City's going to win this game. Uh, I do think the Chiefs are going to give up yards. They give up yards every week. Yeah. But I think they'll win, and uh, I'm, I'm torn on whether they'll cover or not. I, I I tweeted that they won't cover, but I think deep down they'll probably cover because I think they're going to turn Denver over in this game. I had both of these teams in witness protection. I didn't talk about the Chiefs because I spared you that that pain. But Appreciate it. <laughs> But the Broncos and the Chiefs are both in witness protection for me. And this is like Goodfellas, where it's like, who's going to emerge? Who's sitting in the front seat, you know? And it's going to be the Broncos. There's no way the Chiefs are sitting in the front seat for the, you know, getting in the same car with the Broncos. Just the way that they've played. The Broncos are terrible. They have no quarterback. And like you said, I don't want to pile on Trevor Simeon either. But he's a backup quarterback who's been asked to do too much, and he can't do it. And at some point, that something's going to give. And the Broncos, you look at their schedule coming up here, they're probably going to lose to the Chiefs. And then they go to Philadelphia. They got a home game against New England, and they're going to play a Bengals team who very well could be at that point in the season trying to turn the table and get back into the playoff conversation and really take hold of a wild card spot, which at that point, the Broncos and the Bengals could be vying for the same spot. That's a big game. Divisional game against the Raiders. I mean, you could go on. The, the point is, everything that you said about the Broncos is true. Offensive line is terrible. The defense can only do so much. It's can't just stay on the field all the time and be expected to stop teams no matter who they are and the the Chiefs two straight losses they're going to be playing angry they're going to be playing hungry they want to embarrass somebody and who better to do it than Trevor Simeon and the Denver Broncos I just ultimately think that the Broncos look they're a proud team they got a really good defense but when you look at their defense as great as it is Vaughn Miller is incredibly seven sacks nobody else on that team is more than two Mm. If you stop Von Miller, if you slow down Von Miller, that's it. That's it. Now, and I, listen, Shane Ray should be back this week, but Shane Ray is not proven to be an elite pass rusher in the NFL. And the Chiefs do have good tackles. Eric Fisher is an, an average to good tackle. Mitchell Schwartz one of the better right tackles in football. And the biggest thing for me in this game, the Chiefs are finally going to be healthy, literally for the first time since the New England game. Okay, they're getting Mitch Morris back, their, their center. They're getting Laurent Duvernay Tardif back, their right guard, one of the best guards in football. The Chiefs, I expect to run the ball with Kareem Hunt. Oh, yeah. Tyreek Hill, I don't know right now that there's anybody in the league who's more devastating with the ball in his hands. Uh, Tyreek Hill has 515 yards already, three touchdowns. Uh, they have Travis Kelsey. And by the way, one kid, just to, just to give a name, just to somebody, if you're a fancy guy, maybe somebody to watch. Demarcus Robinson has stepped in for Chris Conley. Uh, mm. Conley went down to the torn Achilles. Demarcus Robinson, the first couple of games he's played in, you know, 110 yards. But there have been so many times he's been open and Smith has just missed him a little bit. Uh, somebody to watch. Like, I think Kansas City wins this game, uh, and I think they get right. I just, I frankly just don't think Denver has the horses offensively to win. The Chiefs scored 17 points. This game's probably over. And as good as Denver's defense is, I, I don't think that they can uh, take care of the Chiefs in Arrowhead. So give me the Chiefs. I think they get to 6-2. and two halfway through the year, and then they'll go to Dallas, which will be a really interesting game. So, with that being said, uh, Mr. Hill, uh, final thoughts after we've uh, gone through the gauntlet of games. I mean, 
we're getting down to the playoff push, and that's going to be the separation between who we're interested in, as you can see by us changing up the format a little bit here, and who is going to start looking towards the draft. And right now, it's I still don't know who the best team in football is, so the mystery continues for another straight week. I was going to ask you, and I'll, I'll leave it on this. If you had to pick right now, what would be your Super Bowl matchup? Oh, right now, if I had to pick, my Super Bowl matchup would be, I mean, realistically, I could see the Chiefs getting their flaws in whatever. And then I, I just don't know if this is the Vikings year or not. I don't want to jinx them. I'm sorry. All my friends in Minnesota, I don't want to, don't come back to this moment and say that this is why they lost the NFC Championship game. But a Vikings-Chiefs Super Bowl would be really fun. That offense against that defense Oh, man. Well, it sure would, especially if it has the same outcome as the first one those two teams <laughs> spent in the Super Bowl. I, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with it. Right now, I'm going to go with an all-Pennsylvania all Super Bowl, Ooh. the Steelers and the Eagles. Um, and I'll, I'll say this, and I'll leave it at this, and you guys can chew on this for a week and think about it maybe. These are the teams I think that can legitimately win the Super Bowl. The Eagles, the Seahawks, the Chiefs, the Steelers, the Pats. Those five. I don't think anybody else can do it. Uh, Minnesota. Minnesota, if Bridgewater comes back and is healthy, yeah. I put them in the mix because I love their defense. I don't think Keenum in the playoffs is good enough. That's, that's the only hang-up I have. If he comes back, I put them in. The Saints, I just feel unless they get home field somehow, they're going to have to go on the road. and I, I don't like them in cold weather. If they got to go to Seattle or Philly, that just I, I can't buy that. Um, but I think there's three teams in the AFC that can get there. And if the Vikings get a healthy quarterback come January, put me in for them. So that leaves, leaves about a half dozen teams that I think can actually win the Super Bowl. Nine weeks to go, or well, 10 weeks to go. Who stays healthy? Who doesn't? Look, hopefully everybody can stay healthy. That'd be a perfect world for the NFL and all, all of its fans. But that being said, enjoy week eight. Enjoy the Monday night game if you hear this for the Eagles and the Redskins. We look forward to talking to you next Monday when we are actually at the halfway point All right. of the NFL season. So, for Josh Hill, I am Matt Verderam. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to it on iTunes. We appreciate everybody listening in. Uh, Stack in the Box podcast, Stack in the Box column, and uh, you can catch us always on fansided.com. So, again, thank you for listening. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next week. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. We did it. We time traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an eight-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.